0: Welcome, you are listening to Unlocking the Truth, the podcast channel by Precept Ministries Canada. Come discover God's truth for yourself by studying His Word and deepen a personal transformational relationship with God. This series called In Faith Alone will get you deep into the book of Romans. Dig deeper by following along with the Bible study, Experiencing the Power of Life-Changing Faith, the new inductive study series on Romans, available at preceptministries.ca. Now here is Mark Sheldrake with Unlocking the Truth. Hello, everyone. It's Mark Sheldrake here. Another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast. This is Ministry of Precept Ministries in Canada. So glad you are tuning in with us again. It's great to be back recording. We have enjoyed our trip to Israel. What a blessing it was to be in the Holy Land and uh, nice and warm compared to Canada. So thankful for that opportunity to to spend uh, a good amount of time over over two weeks uh, in the Word of God, uh, in the places where Jesus walked. If you want to join us on the Israel tour, uh, look to our website in 2024. We will be heading back uh, to Israel. Looking forward to that uh, again. Uh, Also, If you are interested, check out our website for uh, in-person and online training opportunities as well as online classes. Our Romans class is starting Romans Part 3 in the Precept Upon Precept Study, and we on the podcast are closing out Segment 1, which is uh, just coming through to the end of Chapter 3, Verse 20. And so uh, let's, without further ado, let's give this time to the Lord and let's pray that the Lord will um, open our hearts and minds to the scriptures once again uh, this week. Father, we do thank you for uh, the truths that come from your word. We thank you that we now, uh, in this day and age, we have your word to hold us accountable that it is the truth, that it is your very voice, that it has been written for us for, for correction and for rebuke, and we can count on uh, your word and what you say. We thank you that you also are a God of covenant, that you keep your promises, that you are the one who has not strayed in any way uh, from your plan, your purpose, and your promise. And Lord, help us to continually be reminded that we are the people who need uh, a savior. We are the ones who have gone astray. So, Lord, as we look at Romans chapter three today, uh, guide us, direct us and speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, let me give you a little bit of context before we head into uh, chapter three. And we have looked at, um, one one segment we've looked at is chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, which is Paul's introduction to the letter. But he also introduces the gospel, and the gospel, which is the power to save. And in the gospel is the righteousness of God. And we also saw that the gospel is for both Jew and Gentile. And so it's for everyone who believes. But we also looked at the fact that once we receive the gospel in faith, believing in the work of the cross, that we also are now to live by faith. That means living our daily lives in light of what we have we have um, confessed, that we are a sinner and that Christ is our Savior. We also looked at uh, Romans uh, 18, chapter 1 verse 18 and uh, to the end of chapter two. and we've seen so far that we that Paul lays out that God's wrath and God's judgment comes against the unrighteous. And so the, this theme actually continues through to chapter 3 verse 20. So the, the second big segment in Romans as far as breaking down the letter, is verse 18 of chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3 verse 20. And so the theme continues in our episode this week. But it's also important to note that in chapter 1, the main audience that Paul is addressing is the Gentile. And it is the Gentile because it is the one who is can not say I didn't know that there was a God. I didn't know that God had a standard. I didn't know that God hated sin because Paul, since the beginning of creation, God has made himself evident. And so uh, his invisible attributes have been known since the very beginning, and therefore even the Gentile, that Gentile person is without excuse. In chapter 2, he changes his focus and he addresses the Jew, And he tells the Jew that uh, you who point fingers at the Gentile to say that they are, are wrong in the things that they're doing, as we looked at, which is hypocrisy, because they were very much sinners as well. But they, too, are without excuse. And the reason for that is that God shows no partiality when it comes to sin. In chapter 1, we also saw that God hates sin, and because God hates sin, he has to deal with sin. And it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek, There is, if there is sin in your life, judgment and wrath is coming. So this week, as we come into chapter 3, uh, I'm reminded of, of the many times that I've had a conversation with my daughter, and it started with something like this: Do you want the good news or the bad news? and And how do you respond to that? Of course, we all want the good news. We want to hear about uh, all the good news that is to come. Please tell us of all the great things that were happening. But most times we we often start with the bad news and, and the bad news. Uh, hopefully the good news helps to cushion the blow of the bad news. I don't know what it is uh, with a, a teenage daughter. Uh, the bad news always seems to be much worse in the eyes of the teenage daughter than it does within the within the father uh, myself. Uh, I usually respond with, well, that's a, that's a lot of drama happening right there amongst you teenage girls. <laughs> anyway, The bad news, and that's what we want to look at. We want to break down Romans chapter 3 into two two main points, and the two main points are these. First, in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 to 20, here's the bad news, and then we have in verses 21 to 31, the good news. And so we'll, we'll work through this week's episode considering these two main points, bad news, And good news, just like Paul starts with the bad news and gets to the good news. We will do that today. But as we work through this episode, we're going to see that Paul asks four questions in the text. And so let's dive in and look at what uh, the first question is when it comes to the bad news. And it comes in verse one and verse two. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Okay, so this is the question that if Paul is coming through, chapter 1, and he says, uh, Gentile, you are condemned because of your sin. Why? Because God hates sin. Chapter 2, Jewish men, you too, if you are living in habitual sin, if this is a a practice of your life, that sin is a part of your life and, and you don't have Jesus Christ, then you too are condemned because of your sin. You're headed for the wrath of God. There's only one way to be saved, and that is through the life of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul's saying, and then he brings this question, and the question becomes, and he asks it of himself, in sort of not a rhetorical rhetorical, he, he's going to answer it himself. And he says, well, is there any advantage in being a Jew if the Jew are con- is condemned? And, and you have to think about this, that these Jewish people, they were hanging on to, to their heritage. I mean, they, it's, it's like this in this day and age where we might have people who, who believe that they are saved as Christians because their parents were saved and that they might come back with the response of, to say, well, I've always grown up in church, it's a part of my life, but they've never made the profession of Jesus Christ As Lord and Savior. And so, what we have here is he's saying that, well, these Jews are like, well, I'm Jewish. You know, I'm a part of God's chosen people. I'm in covenant with God. So, is there any advantage to any of this if we are all sinners and we're condemned? Well, let's look at the answer in verse two. And he says, uh, what's the advantage? great advantage in every respect. First of all, that the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Uh, when we see oracles of God mentioned in the New Testament, uh, they're, we're pointing back to the Old Testament. And so what these people had, these Jewish people, they were entrusted with the Old Testament. They were also entrusted with the law that when the law came down from Sinai with Moses all of the people they made the covenant by doing a blood covenant by putting blood on themselves and putting blood on on the tablets themselves and they've made a commitment to keeping the law listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 1 says now O Israel listen to the statutes and the judgments which I'm teaching you to perform so that you may live and go and take possession of the land which the Lord the God of your fathers has given you. And so we know through this that God gave the fathers the fathers of the of the Jewish people his oracles his teachings. Uh, In Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses, as he's ready to uh, go and look at the promised land for one time that he will not get to enter, but led the Israelites up to uh, Mount Nebo. And he says, take to your heart all of the words that I have given to you, all of the things that God gave to me. Store them in your heart. Why? Because this is your life. And so what is the advantage? Well, the advantage is that the Jewish person knew what the standard was for God-hating sin. And they could easily find that within the law. And so because they knew what the standard was for approaching a holy God, which being righteous was keeping the law, they also knew that God, what God had laid out was sin. And yet the Jewish people broke the covenant and they continued to live in sin. But they were of greater advantage than the Gentile when the Gentile never had the standard for sin. They didn't know what sin was. Romans 2 tells us that even the Gentiles, because of their just their nature and their conscience and the good about them, they were keeping the law even though they didn't know the law. They didn't know the oracles of God, and yet the Jewish people did. And so they are of great advantage, and they shouldn't be in the position of being condemned in the first place if they knew what it was like to live in the presence of a holy God. All right, so that's, so that's question one. And so we really need to understand that for you and I, that comes out of this question is that you and I now have the word of God. Uh, we just came through in our in our Romans group. We were looking at some of the comparisons through Romans chapter chapter uh, five through Romans chapter eight, which we'll get to uh, into our next segment of study. But when we look at that, we were looking at the principles of those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ and the different different advantages and differences between those two groups of people. I can't wait to come to that episode in the future so that we can really see the difference between those who are lost and those who are saved. But because you and I, if we profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and shows us what our sin is. We also know and hopefully have a hunger to study God's Word. And because we have God's word being washed over our hearts and minds in and day in and day out, we know the standard by which God calls us to live. And because we have the word of God, and not only do we have the oracles of the Old Testament, but we have everything of the New Testament. We even have the book of Revelation that shows us uh, God's plan for eternity that God shows us what you and I are headed to, that we can study the book of Revelation. And maybe we're not going to know the exact date, but we're going to have an understanding of How God is going to deal with sin, how God is going to reward the righteous, and how Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to gather his church and he's going to set up his new kingdom and then we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. In light of everything that we know from the word of God and as we study the word of God, we can never take the word of God for granted. I mentioned this once before in a podcast, but when I was pastoring a local church here in town, I put on the church sign once, uh, dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. Well, the community really didn't like that because there's so much truth in it. Did you know that in a household, the average house has about eight Bibles in their home? Eight Bibles. The question becomes, how often are these eight Bibles cracked open and read? In a world that we are living in right now where truth is much like the EKG of a heart test going up and down all over the place as your heart beats, it measures the beat, the upbeat, and the down, and it continues to show that squiggly line. And, you know, I have no idea how to read them. I just trust that the doctors are telling me the right thing when the heart test comes. But when you look at it, isn't that what the plumb line of truth looks like today? It looks like people have just got this up and down motion of, oh, I feel like this is the truth today. Oh, maybe this is the truth. And there is no straight line. Well, Paul, he lays out right in that first question. He says that the straight line are the oracles of God. This is the plumb line and the standard of truth. So what advantage does the Jews have, even though they're now all condemned? They knew what the plumb line was. They knew what the straight line was. They committed to being obedient to it, and yet they sinned. And so then as we come through let's look at the next question. He says, "What then?" All right, so if if the advantage was what advantage do we have as Jews and Paul says, "Well, <laughs> the word of God was your advantage." And then in 3 he says, "What then if some did not believe, their unbelief will nullify the faithfulness of God, will it?" <laughs> let me let me summarize this question for you that Paul Paul is asking and then we'll look at the answer. Uh has Israel's uh belief uh canceled uh the word of God? All right. So so has has their uh sorry, their unbelief has Israel's unbelief canceled the word of God? <laughs> I think you're probably sitting and listening in the same same that I'm listening now, and, and y- you already know the answer. Verse 4, may it never be uh in 2023? T- uh no. Uh, your in your unbelief does not affect the word of God. Uh may it never be, rather, let God be found true. Though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. And so, uh, as Paul is writing this, he's already anticipating that you know the Jewish people are going to drop another bomb and another question, and that they would uh, say that well because of our unbelief, this, this nullifies the promises of God. And his answer is really clear, may it never be. And it never changes the faithfulness of God. And that God, again, he's not moved. He's, he's continued to be that straight line and that standard. He, he doesn't walk away from us. We walk and we stray away from him. And God is faithful to all his promises. Uh, he made the nation of Israel. He had all of the individual Jews uh, chosen and selected. He he grabbed them all together and made that promise of covenant through Abraham. And because God, as we've seen earlier, he is true, uh, we know that he will continue to keep his promises, and so let's look at uh, Isaiah uh, Psalm chapter fifty-one, uh, verse four, and it says, "Against you, you only, God, I have sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak, and you are blameless when you judge." Do you see what David? is openly admitting here. It is he is the one who has sinned. It, and and because he's the one who has sinned, he has become evil in God's sight. But God is justified in bringing his actions. Why? Because he is blameless. He is holy and he is true and he is judge. And so, uh, because he is true, this this puts man in a different light. Because God is found to be true and he is righteous and he's holy, every man is found to be a liar. So that's a that's quite the difference that we've we've got there. But uh, the Jews they were unfaithful. They were unfaithful to the promise that they had made when they made the covenant before God. You see, the covenant that man made in the desert with the tablets was a conditional covenant. Unlike God, when he made the covenant with Abraham, that being unconditional and forever, the condition for man was that they would keep the law, that they would obey all of the statutes and all the things that were written in it. And they became a liar when they broke the law. You see, it, it's not God that has changed the circumstances and brought condemnation. It is man who has brought condemnation among themselves. Well, the questions, they, they keep getting they keep getting better. And and we get another question that comes in verses five to eight. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms. (laughs) Well, here, the question that he's, that is being asked, and and let me preface this before we lay out this question in in easy understanding, Uh, Paul is going to address this very question again in Romans chapter 6 but the question is this why not sin because my sinning will glorify God more well we're going to we're going to see that when Paul addresses the gentiles in Romans 6 Listen to what he says. He says, may it never be for otherwise, how will God judge the world? All right. If God is true and he is righteous and he is honorable and he is just in judging my sin, then they're saying, well, I'm doing him a favor. I'm doing him a favor by sinning more. Instead of him judging me and condemning me for my sin, he should let me sin, that that we can glorify him more. Uh, He can't righteously judge me because I'm helping him out. Uh, Paul quickly uh, crushes this argument, and he responds with the following. May it never be. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie, the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? That's part of the second question. And then in 8, And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, and as some claim, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. Just let me keep on sinning. Just let me keep on going. If we go back all the way to the book of Genesis and Genesis verse 18, chapter 18, verse 25, we see that Abraham way back with Abraham, Abraham recognized that God was the judge. He says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike, far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly. Even Abraham recognizes that God is the judge. You see, Paul doesn't go on and explain here about how God gets glory in judging sin, but he merely states the truth. Everything would fall apart, that everything about God and his glory and him being judge would fall apart if it was beneficial to keep on sinning. Let us do evil that good may come of it. Uh, The statement here that we see in these verses is so contrary to all of Scripture That Paul simply responds with if you sin and you have sin in your life, you deserve to be condemned. Uh, The argument is crushed. It's not about God's glory in this case. It's about your sin bringing about your condemnation. Let's look at the, the, the next question. It's a, it's a big, big, big question that covers a ton of verses. And the question comes in verses 9 to 18. 18. What then? Are we better than they? All right, so the question is, are the Jews better than the Gentiles? And then Paul says, not at all. For we have already changed, we have already charged that both Jew and Greek are all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks for God. All turned aside together. They have become useless, useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open cave with their tongues and they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they've not known. There is no fear of God Before their eyes. So the so the questioning begins with, well, what's the advantage? Of the Jew, he says, well, you have the oracles of God. Well, they come back and they say, well, does does my unbelief cancel the promises of God? No, it doesn't. Why? Because God is true and he's righteous and he keeps his promises. But, but, but what if I just keep on sinning? God should allow me to keep sinning so that I can be uh, glorified, that God can be glorified. Oh, But wait, wait, back to the original, right? Are the Jew better than the Gentile? Not at all. Because Paul is now going to lay out in these next verses, he's going to lay out the condition of the heart of man. None righteous, not even one. There's not one who seeks God. They've all turned aside together. They become useless. There's no one who does good. There's not even one. Then he goes and he addresses their their speech. Does their speech glorify and honor God? No. Their throat is an open cave. Their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of the asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And then he addresses their sinful actions. He starts with the heart. Then he goes to the speech and he looks at their actions, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. The path of peace they have not known. And then wait for it, the big one. What all of this stems from, there's no fear of God before their eyes. I mean, you can walk that back all the way to Romans chapter one, where it talks about those who are uh, the Gentiles who since the creation should have God has made himself evident that the unrighteous, there's none without excuse, that the mind, as we saw in chapter one, how it started with not recognizing God, not honoring God which then brought them to be delivered over to incorruptible things because they exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God. Then it became the men uh, abandoned their natural functions. Then God gave them over to a depraved mind and they became haters of God. You see, all of this stems from a lack of reverence for God they have failed to fear and honor him now what is mind boggling and we may say this as we walk through the scriptures together we may look back at the israelites and say things like well how could they have done that when they had all of those truths before them i can't believe they're going down this 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 cycle road again of you know where they they sin they Call out to God and God uh, saves them, and then they go, they sin again, and they call out to God, and then God saves them. And this repeated pattern working through the Old Testament, and yet they continue to follow that pattern. Why? Because they don't have a fear and honor for God. I mean, we're seeing this in the world today. We're seeing this in the world that one. That the standard for truth, the straight plumb line of God's word is not respected because we live in a culture that questions, did God really say that? And then we have those who live by their own truth instead of the truth. And when they don't live by the truth of God's word and, and live a life that brings glory and honor to him, we see that in a world there is no fear or reverence for God. We see that now the, the scriptures, we talk about judgment and wrath and the coming, behold, I'm coming soon. And you know what people say and mock of God? They say, well, when? Where is he? Where are the judgments that are coming? It's been over 2,000 years, man. Are you sure this is really going to happen? And the further we move away from the plumb line of truth, the less fear and reverence we have for God. But Paul simply says this, that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. A Jew who is living in sin without reverence and fear, and their actions do not reflect that they are part of the family of God, they are condemned. That the Gentile who lives the unrighteous mind, the mind of the depraved, they too are condemned. Verse 19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by his works of the law, no flesh will be justified, in his sight for though the law comes to the knowledge of sin what paul is simply laying out for these jewish people as they come and say well we're at the advantage we're better because we we are completing the law we we are following the law we're doing these things but paul says no no you're not you're you're living in sin you're condemned and you're not justified and made right because the law's purpose, and this is where he's going he's to take us all the way to chapter 7, and then he's going to dr- address it again in chapters 9 to 11. He's going to tell us over and over and over again, Jewish people know this, that the law has served its purpose in showing us what sin is. But by completing the law, you cannot be justified. And that really brings us through the bad news. The bad news kind of wraps up in verse 23, where he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, both Jew and Gentile. That even though you try to be righteous through the law, you can't. There's only one way to be justified in his sight. And then Paul lays out for us in verses 21 to 31, the good news. And so, so we want to walk through uh, the good news at, to wrap up this episode of the podcast. And remember, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I've stated this over and over and over again, but when you see the word but, a contrast in Scripture, you know whether that is good or something good or something bad is coming after it. In this case, we got the bad news first, and so now we're going to get the good news. He says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, there is no uh, distinction. So, what he's telling us in verses twenty-one and twenty-two is that these truths about the righteousness of God have been manifested now, and they have been manifested now through. Jesus Christ. Uh, We see this same principle in Titus chapter 1 when Paul talks about at the proper time uh, the word of God was manifested. And so we're looking at in this age of when Christ came and presented the gospel and he died, buried, and resurrected. That was at God's proper time for that to occur. But both the law and the prophets all spoke of this event. And so uh, prophecy fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And because of this, Paul says, I've set the standard for you. I've set it through chapter one all the way through, that there is none righteous before God. And at the proper time, the way to be ha- come right is through the righteousness of God, which is the gospel. So the prophets, they prophesied that there would be a new way or a new covenant. We can see that in uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Not to mention some of the minor prophets as well as they talk about even f- further into the second coming of Jesus. He tells us that in verse 22 that even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe there is no distinction. What he's wrapping us back to is chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 that justification or being declared righteous is by faith and faith alone. And it is for both Jew and Gentile. Look what he says in verse 24. He tells us that, uh, well, first he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And so we want to look at a couple of uh, these principles uh, now. And let's walk through and look at, uh, first of all, what does it mean uh, to be justified? So, the word justify means to be declared righteous. All right? So, uh, it's through the blood of Jesus Christ and the actions of the cross and our faith in what happened at Calvary. It is by our profession of faith— that we are declared righteous. Why? Because Christ was the ultimate sacrifice for us, which Paul is going to further address. The idea and the principle of justified and made right before God is that through our profession of faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ and because of the work that Christ did on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice, we are now in right relationship with God. And that is for all those who believe by faith. Remember, it's the opposite of seeking righteousness through the law. Uh, Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption. Well, what does it mean to be redeemed? It means to uh, be released through a payment. So if you were to consider it like some of the the hollywood movies go out there that go out there is a prisoner who is held captive and they are held captive and they are seeking out a payment and they call that payment a ransom and that ransom is paid to buy back the person that who is held captive and when you look at this it says that this payment this ransom was a gift From God. It wasn't a payment that I could make, like when I make a payment on my credit card to to remove the balance and be back to zero. I couldn't do that myself. It was only by God's grace and His love and mercy for His people that He made the payment on our behalf. In the book of Isaiah, it talks about how uh, we see right here in Romans 9 to to 18, but we also see that as as God was looking at um, his people, his chosen people, there was not one who could step in and intervene for his people. And because there was not one who could step in and intervene for his people, he says that he stepped in to redeem and save His people. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift of by grace through the redemption, which is Christ Jesus. Whom Jesus, who God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because of the forbearance of God. He passed over sin previously committed. There's a, there's a couple of truths that we want to look at. And the first is, what is this idea of propitiation? Well, you've got to go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where we defined a few episodes ago that God hates sin. And as Paul builds out that God hates sin, we know through chapter 2, because God hates sin, he shows no partiality when it comes to sin, and therefore all are going to face the judgment and wrath of God. Because God hates sin, he has to deal with sin because he is just, and it makes him angry that people sin, that his creation sins, and, and doesn't want to live in line with him, and because of that, he's going to judge sin but because he is gracious and he is loving he makes the payment he pays the ransom to set us free from our captor which is sin and death and because he sets the pays the ransom through his through the blood of his son Jesus Christ the propitiation which is the appeasement it's the satisfactory sacrifice that God takes that sacrifice of Jesus and his blood because he was perfect and he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf and made the payment. That is the acceptable payment that then demonstrates the righteousness of God. If you remember in the last episode, we talked about how the definition is righteousness is from God. That we are made right through what God does for us. Uh, He also uses the example of Passover and how the, the unblemished lamb was sacrificed and the blood was spread on the doorpost. And if it was on the doorpost. God would pass over and not judge those people because the blood was the satisfactory sign that they had made payment. And so God publicly displayed Jesus, He put Him on the cross, He was crucified. He was buried and he rose again. For this demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that God would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. Hey, listen, Jew, the one who who is trying to keep all of the laws that have been put in place by by not only the Ten Commandments, but all the laws that have been put in place through Leviticus and all the, the, the laws that the rabbis have put in place, all of these 600-plus laws, look, they're not going to justify you. You're as much of a sinner as the Gentile. It's the only... Satisfactory payment is Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that appeases God's wrath. It's the only thing that displays his righteousness. In the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. But it also shows us that God is not only just because he is true and he is right. He is the one who makes us right. He is the justifier because he is just. That's the good news. You see, all of the bad news that we we have before us, that every one of us is condemned because of our sin. When we look out into the world and we see the behavior of the culture around us, And all of the sin that abounds, all of those people headed for condemnation. But you and I, because we are believers in Jesus Christ, we've recognized two things the two most important things that can ever be recognized in the world. They should be the most costly truce, they are costly in sacrifice. But if you were to put a monetary value on them, oh my goodness. But they were a gift, a gracious gift from God. And these are the truths. One, that you are a sinner. That there is no way for you to make yourself right before God. There is nothing you can do to put yourself in right relationship with God. That the only thing you can do is submit to the knowledge that you need a Savior. That you need somebody to step in and take your sin and be the sacrifice for it. And recognize that Jesus was the appeasement. He was the satisfactory payment to set you free. Because we know that. Because we live in that faith that what Christ did on the cross, it has set us free from sin. We are now called to live by faith. Listen to how Paul closes out this chapter with this amazing good news. Where then is boasting? It's excluded by what kind of law, of works? No, but by a law of faith. What Paul is saying here is he's saying there is no boasting in the law. There is no righteousness that comes through the things that I can do on my own. I can't stand in a large group on a big pedestal and brag about all the things that I have done to make myself righteous because none of them accomplish that. But because salvation comes through faith in the works of Jesus Christ, Nobody can stand before God and boast. Listen to what he says in verse 28. 28, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. The theme for the entire book of Romans is the righteous shall live by faith. Justification, being made right and put in right relationship with God is by faith alone. None of it depends on keeping the law. Verse 29: Or is God the God of the Jew only? Is he not only the God of the Gentiles also? Paul says that God is the God of both Jew and Gentile. And because he is the God of both Jew and Gentile, there is only one way to be justified. By faith. And he wraps up this teaching and he says, do we nullify the law through faith? And Paul says, no. It doesn't. Because earlier on, he says, the law gives us the knowledge of sin. You see, justification is by faith. It doesn't nullify the law. It only establishes the law. The law points us to our sin. Galatians tells us that the law was a tutor. Paul will tell us again in Romans, I didn't know what coveting was until the law told me it was wrong. Paul wraps up in verse 31 and he says, The law can't save you. Those of you who are Jew, the law can't save you. Only Jesus can. And so we look at all of this and we, we say to ourselves, well, what's the application here? The application for us is that we must first recognize that our works do not save. That unless we have made a profession in Jesus Christ, that he is Lord and Savior over our lives, that we have this unmovable, unwavering faith in the work of Jesus Christ. We're not justified before him. That it's only through Jesus that we can be in right relationship with God. For those of us who live on the other side of the cross, on the big be where there once was a big gap between those who lived in sin and those who, lived in Christ, who live in Christ. Our job is to take these truths and share with those who have the, share with those both the bad news and the good news. Because there are a lot of people who are living in the life of of bad news and our job continues to be populate heaven and plunder hell what a privilege it is to share these truths with others let's pray father we do thank you again for this time that you have given us in your word lord we thank you for your son jesus christ we thank you that he was a gift from you to pay to pay for sin to be the payment that sets us free. So I pray that we would have these truths sink into our heart, Lord, but also that they would be on the the tip of our tongue each and every moment of the day so at any opportunity we can share the truth of the gospel. Lord, continue to use us and equip us for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. We appreciate you in joining us in this series of Unlocking the Truth with Preset Ministries Canada. Visit our website PresetMinistries.ca to find in-person and online studies and workshops that will further your journey in His Word and give you the tools to know God deeply and live differently.